It's so good to have this massive privilege of, of serving you on this uh, Sunday. It's cold. The winter has arrived. I'm hoping that we'll be warmed up by the presence of the Lord and by what God has to say to us today. Thank you, Luke and Lauren and the elders, for the invitation to serve you in this way today. Uh, Sue and I see it as a massive privilege. We actually get paid to do this stuff, which is ridiculous. Uh, We love it. We like to believe we would do it no matter what, because we feel called to God's church in the world. We feel particularly called to this part of the world, tip of Africa, Cape Town, and this family of churches that are so, so dear to us. Uh, I want to launch right in today by just kind of moving out of what Luke would have given you feedback on last uh, week about our conference in the UK, and uh, somehow I got asked to kickstart the conference uh, on the opening night, and I preached a message on the two frontiers of the gospel, the innermost part of our hearts and the outermost parts of the world. When God broke into history in the person of his son Jesus, it wasn't a geographical expansionist kind of movement. Yes, it included all nations and nations and people groups, but uh, uh, you don't you don't you don't join this amazing uh, uh, mission of God in the world by simply being in a particular place. It's you you're included because this work of God in Jesus gets to the deepest part of who we are as individuals. And as communities, the gospel starts to move on the inside of us in deep and profound and transforming ways. And there's a kind of a symbolic relationship between as the gospel is at work in us, uh, it's, an, it's, it's, it's a lifelong journey. It also awakens us to the possibility of splashing grace on the world. So it's grace on the inside, grace flowing through the riverbed of our lives. Now, in the passage I want to read to you this morning, it's a passage that kind of pushes home a dimension of the gospel's transforming power on the inside. And I would love us to, to, uh, to just humbly be able to hear uh, this message. Uh, I've entitled the message, Four Things God Wants For Us. Now, do you ever get any of those phone calls where you see it's an unrecognizable number? And as you answer it, hi, uh, I hope you're having a good day. I have something absolutely amazing to share with you, and it's for you. And, and how many of you know it's a setup? <laughs> I'm hoping that you would hear what this servant of Jesus has to say, not as a setup. When, when I'm saying four things God wants for you, uh, I'm... Speaking on behalf of the person who needs very little from us, he's self-sustaining, he, uh, he's secure, uh, all that we bring to God is really just worship because his perfections des- uh, uh, deserve that from those that he has created and those that he's redeemed and those that he sustains. So just hear uh, what... I'm wanting to share today against the backdrop of this is a God who is, is, is concerned about a particular church in Ephesus. 
And there's this young pastor by the name of Timothy who's leading this church. And he's teaching Timothy how what a healthy local church looks like. And he goes through all kinds of stuff. We're not going to get into all of that. But he's just about to finish the letter. And Paul writing to Timothy, he has this passage that is about economic life. Now, there we are. That's where you get nervous now because... It is a money talk, but it's got nothing to do with wanting anything from you related to your personal wallet today. It's more to do with God wants for us because of the kind of crisis they were facing in the first century and because of the economic shakeup. And I am wanting to be faithful enough not to do rah-rah and hype, but to actually anchor secure and build the right kind of foundations for us as we move forward into the church. Can I get a thumbs up or a wave or a yes? And uh, so here we got it. This is talk is an anchoring talk. And I don't know if you've noticed the fuel price and interest rates and food inflation and global uncertainty. The world is in a bit of a mess, and the implication of that is economic in so many ways. It's more than economic, but in so many ways. And we cannot afford to be the people of God and not talk about it. And so I want to I talk about it in a way that I'm hoping will, will really secure us. And so this is another version of Humbly Onwards. That was the theme of our conference, and may the Lord help us to do that. So would you read with me from the screens? And we're going to read this out loud. I don't know if you can see that or open in your Bibles to First Timothy 6. Verse 6 to 10, and then we're going to go down to verse 17 and just read on. So let's fill the atmosphere with Scripture as we read it out together. Are you ready? Good to go. One, two, three. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Yay! What an amazing passage of Scripture. I hope you notice those words that who uh, Paul is focusing on through Timothy. He says, Timothy, I want you to, uh, to move toward those who are economically empowered. So in other words, in this church, there were a, a bandwidth of people that were really doing well. Now, in this church, I want to put us in a category of most of us, and I'm not assuming or presuming that it's everyone, but I'm just saying in terms of where we find our kind of uh, economic status, we probably are reasonably well-empowered 
people. If you're not, once you see Luke afterwards, he's sitting on a pile of cash. He really wants to <laughs> empower you. But notice those verse, verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world. There's a, there's a category of people and verses where we find ourselves in Cape Town versus in Africa, in a global thing, we are, uh, we are probably in that top 5% of the world's earners. And that's not a scientific thing. So for those of you who are wanting to you know, test that, my name is, for the video guys, my name is Luke Harper. Feel free to... <laughs> I want you to see the, the verse here that just lightens everything. It's, it's that verse 17b. He's talking to these, these economically empowered people. He says, command them to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. For our enjoyment. The God who is for us. I think we've listened to too many televangelists with little tricks on how to extract you know, our money, but I want you to see this is the God who's provided us with everything we have anyway, and he does it with the purest, most beautiful, generous motives for your enjoyment. I just consider that for a moment. What kind of God is this? How good is he? How kind is he? How faithful is he? How caring is he? This is the God who is for us. And this has been a kind of a life verse for me and for Sue. Uh, but more than just saying he has provided us with everything for our enjoyment, this God who's so loving and kind is also very wise. He has the total perspective on, on the economics of our moment in history and the whole of history all in one. And as he surveys, he speaks to us and he says, I, wanna, I want more for you. I want Four things for you, but it comes out of this heart of mind that is pastoral, that is caring. And I got to think and pray some pretty cool prayers for you in this past week as we've thought about being with you. And uh, the one thought that came to me is that we're still in the very early days of what this church is going to become now and into the future. And in the early days, you've got to lay the foundations. And this is a foundational word. And I want to put it to you that one day in eternity, when we look back at our moment in history, one day we're going to look and uh, we're going to see how the decisions we made in the various seasons of our lives and those decisions were made out of our economic value system, out of our sense of security. We're going to see how those decisions we made in our little brief time on this planet, which is the equivalent of a burp in eternity, we're going to see, don't reach for a month now, was, a, was an illustration, we're going to see how that impacted and splashed grace from us onto succeeding generations. We've got to be delivered from short-termism. It's not everything about making a decision to survive. We've got to start to get this gospel-shaping wisdom on the inside so that we find ourselves uh, free. And so four things God wants us. Are you ready? Number one, da-da-da-da, drum solo. 
Did you notice the band didn't say you're on next Sunday? My <laughs> drum solo wasn't very good. Number one, God wants to upgrade our personal asset register. Enough of the whinging and complaining around what we don't have. He wants to upgrade our personal asset register. Notice what it says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. The word great gain is mega wealthy. Godliness with contentment. We are not wealthy on the basis of our rand value or our property portfolio or our shares or our provision. We are wealthy primarily out of what we have in Jesus Christ. Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, reality check, and we can take nothing out of it. You are not your wealth. You are wealthier than your wealth in Jesus. But if we had food and clothing, we would be content with that. One of the dangers of living in our cultural moment is that we are bombarded with advertisements who seem to assume that we need far more than we actually do. And that's the goal of the advertising industry. And if you're in that industry, uh, just avoid seeing me. <laughs> the advertising industry robs us of our self-respect and our contentment and then sells it back to us at the price of a product. So we're always feeling discontent. We're always feeling there's something else we need that is going to restore the magic. And Murphy's Law kicks in because we never reach that magical moment. You know, you know how to know when you've got enough? Have you, have, you not, have you not realized this is how you have enough? You wait for that day when the clouds have a formation in the sky and they, there's a word that says, you have enough. So when do you think that day is coming? It's never going to arrive. We've got to recalibrate and reorientate around what true wealth is. Years ago, Jonathan Edwards, the great Puritan preacher in New England, in America, he preached a sermon on Christian happiness. And I'm just going to read his quote. It's from the three reasons why a Christian can be completely happy and content. First, your bad things will turn out for good. If God is with you then, Romans 8.28 says, He will find a way to walk with you through those bad things. So, so that even the bad things will in many ways have good effects in your life and in your heart. I tell you what, COVID, bad time, rattle the world. But I think what's emerging is a more mature, more godly, more a God-centered church. You know why? Because you grow more in a fiery furnace than you do in a jacuzzi. Second, he says, your good things can't be taken away from you. Your bad things are going to turn out for good. Romans 8.28, he works all things together for the good of those who love him. And your good things can never be taken away. What good things? You are adopted into the family of God. The Holy Spirit has been put into your life and is eventually going to transform you into being so glorious, something far greater than your aspirations or anything can even imagine. You will be. 
sanctification and glorification at work. They can't be taken away from you ever. Your bad things will turn out for good. Your good things can never be taken away. And the best things are yet to come. My friends, when Paul says, when I see imminent death or torture out of 2 Corinthians 12, 39 lashings, imprisonments, etc., he says it doesn't bother me or doesn't get to me in the way that I'm despairing and hopeless. Why? Because even a tragic, early, painful death is not ultimate. It becomes merely a servant that ushers us into the true riches and the true glory of what we have in Christ. So what's the big point in this first point? God wants to upgrade our personal asset register. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ and you've been on the road for a while, or you're the newest babe, or you are exploring what it means, you are being invited into a relationship with God where you'll be the recipients of untold riches. As a matter of fact, you're described as an heir of the Father and a joint heir with the Son. All of what God has brought to us and gifted us in Jesus is ours forever. You can never lose it. And so here's the big point. You and I are richer right now through our faith in Christ than we could ever imagine. And if you're exploring faith, you can have those riches because it's a gift. It's not climbing the ladders of moralism and behavior Climbing ladders to achieve on the treadmill of trying to get ahead. No, it's stepping onto the escalator of undeserved mercy and grace as he lifts you into those riches on the basis of pure faith and trust in his death on the cross. Can I have an amen? amen. So, God is upgrading our asset register. I think that is so securing in the time in which we're living. Number two, God wants to protect us in this fatherly way. Look, you'll see the language from being trapped in the wrong cycles. Hmm. He talks about these snares, which are really are traps. And so those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and to, into many foolish and harmful desires. And the desires there, remember, we are creatures with desire. God's given us desires. But what Paul's addressing there is epithumia, which is disordered desires, desires that are out of control, desires that ultimately are leading us astray, and they plunge people into ruin and destruction. Destruction. This isn't God saying, oh, everything around economics is bad. No, it's the trap of finding our satisfaction and our contentment and our identity in them. For the love of money, not money, the disordered desire around money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money, and you can hear Paul almost weeping as he says this, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. It seems like God's perspective, he's, he's surveying history, surveying the reality of what's going on in Ephesus. And I would imagine the Holy Spirit has a read on our culture and this congregation and our dangers. And he is 
wanting to protect us from being trapped in the wrong cycle. So a question, just work with me on this. Is it possible to be trapped by something and not know it? Is it possible to be under money's power in an epithumia, disordered sense, and not know it? Well, a good preacher will help us to know it. <laughs> and so what are the marks of being potentially trapped by money? Number one, don't leave. There's five of them. We're talking about money all the time. If it's the dominant issue in all of our conversations, listen carefully, whether we are rich or richer than others or poorer than others. Rich people think money is all that matters. Poor people imagine it. Both are epithumia dynamics. When you're talking about it all of the time, it's a disordered desire. God wants to free us from that. Secondly, when we exaggerate its power. Oh, if I only had this, whether it's a money, a car, a house, or whatever it is, I would be far happier, which dilutes your asset register. Your true understanding of wealth is it now moves from an identity with God and all the riches in Christ into stuff. And I hope God gives you the home you want the car you want to drive, the education for your kids and all of that. But the power of it determining who you are in Christ is a very dangerous when we exaggerate its power. Thirdly, when it controls your choices. You start to do things just because you could doesn't mean you should. And a bank balance or a net worth can deceive you into thinking you deserve entitlement. A power that is at work in our culture. I put a lot of work into all of this, that, and the other. And what can happen is that your, not your standard of giving goes up, but your standard of living just starts to stretch more and more and more. It controls our choices. We do it just because we can afford it. And we need to be way more circumspect and more wise and say, Lord, thank you that you've given me all things for my enjoyment. So it's not God saying no. It's just you being more prayerful. Me be more prayerful and saying, Lord, I, want, I need you to help me. Is this what you want? And true maturity sometimes is being able to say no for the sake of others. Okay, talking about it all the time, exaggerating its power, controlling our choices. Number four, when it defines your identity. I'm saying this over and over again. Here's the point. In 1929, the Wall Street crash Guys were jumping out of office windows as they watched their share portfolio value plummet. So did their self-worth plummet. Why? Because their self-worth was married to their net worth, which was not their actual worth. And God wants to free us from that. You are not what you own. You are his, bought by blood. You are his treasured possession. He is yours. And we are his, and his banner over us is love. God wants to free us from that. And finally, how do you know money has disproportionate power over us? Number five, we experience overwhelming loss when we give it away. <laughs> I sat with a guy once, 
I was just thinking about, I didn't tell you who it was, you would know, Lovey. 17, 18 years ago, in the early days of, of uh, Rondebosch, a guy who was earning really good money, and he asked me, he says, all this stuff about being generous and all of that, I, I, just, don't, I, just, I just don't get it. I said, you, you don't know how hard I work. I said, say that again. <laughs> you don't know how hard I work to get what I have. So as gently as I could, I just said to him, well, isn't that amazing that you're healthy enough to work? Isn't it amazing? Uh, where did you study? Oh, isn't it amazing that you got a degree at such and such a university? Isn't it amazing that, uh, that uh, you are healthy enough? Isn't it amazing that all the way doors have opened in your economic life? Isn't it amazing? Who do you think behind all of that? And do you think he's going to shortchange you because you start to give him the first fruits of your income? Do you think over your lifetime that you need to be in charge of your wealth? Anyway, we arranged for his excommunication. <laughs> no, we didn't. He's still in our church and I, I believe that he would have heard that and Jesus would have got to the inner frontier. Because this is what we're talking about, guys. On the inside, God freeing us. So how do you escape the money trap? Well, we don't have time to get into it all. Number one, contentment. I've learned the secret of being content, Paul says. I've had plenty and I've had little. He's lived the full spectrum and we, our lives will have those, those tensions, but... In those cycles, I've learned the secret of being content. And it's not the, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, how many of you know we've misapplied that over our lives for, for years and years? When it says there, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, we use that when you're going to write an exam and you say, oh God, I've, won't you help me in this exam? I should have studied better, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, or the rugby team, you know, bowing before the Lord before the game or the boxers. I can do all things through Christ. I'm going to blooksome that oak because Christ is going to strengthen me. We've used these verses, but Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Where does the strength of Christ flow? It flows into the inner frontier of our lives to make us content around our true riches and to deliver us from the false narrative of what it really means to be wealthy in this life. Back to gospel economic well-roundedness. Number three, God wants a higher maturity for us as good stewards of his blessings. So if we are rich of, in so many ways, both spiritually and in terms of uh, material blessings, God wants a higher maturity for us. And our maturity is way more than our money, but it never excludes our money. I want you to see that. A maturity, because Paul's writing here about right relationship to money will produce right actions. And if the right actions never come out of the so-called right attitudes, the gospel has not got to us. Hmm. Command those that are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our Enjoyment. There's the case to expect God's provision. Richly provides. Hmm. Of course, in that is this warning about don't be arrogant. Don't be 
a hoarder. Don't be hoping in wealth like it's going to deliver everything. He's moving us from that to hoping in God. Hoping in God is living with an expectation of His goodness every day of our lives. Folk, it's about real maturity is whether it's up or down. We're hoping in God. We're not arrogant because you can be arrogant whether you're rich or poor because your conclusion is money's going to deliver all my happiness and personal peace. But it's, it's hope in God. It's not hoping in wealth. You know why so many people struggle to give in a biblical, biblically appropriate way? And I'm, this is not a giving talk. It's just I want us to understand ourselves and our own hearts and what God's wanting to do. Why so many people are afraid to give at levels the Bible says we should. I'm going to shock you. It's not because of selfishness and stinginess. It's because of fear. We don't really trust God. We don't really hope in the provision and the goodness and the sufficiency and the abundance of God. A preacher never should use his life as an illustration in these things, but for the last 40 years that we've been in ministry, we've seen a few things. And uh, we've had the privilege of working with all kinds of communities and seeing buildings and schools and you know, movements, and, and we've been called to lead in that, serve in that, and sow into that. And we can stand before you today and say, one of the most freeing things is to say, God is more than faithful. God is so gracious. And part of what we've enjoyed is not the money flow. It's the maturity progress that we've witnessed in people's lives. It's not about the resource. It's about maturity. Everybody wants to be more mature, but you cannot be more mature unless you're beginning to experience the operating system of heaven flowing through your life. You say, Rigby, what is that operating? It's OS Grace 1.0. OS Grace 1.0. There is no 2.0. You know why? There's never been any need to improve it. It's perfect. The whole universe is run on the generosity and kindness and, uh, and provision of God. And the beautiful thing is that when the gospel gets into us, it's not about wanting to redirect our resources. No. When the gospel gets into us, it's about maturing us into that operating system. You'll never be mature Unless your life becomes a riverbed of this grace flowing from you, not just to you. Real maturity is when what flows through us is as important as what flows to us. You need both. You've got nothing to steward if, you're, if it's not flowing to you. But if it's flowing to you, it is the most beautiful mark of maturity when more grace starts to flow through your prayer life. Your, your, that's maturity. That's maturity. And here's the point. You're becoming more and more like the one who saved you. Because that's what flows through him is grace. And it is a beautiful thing. It's a miracle in this world of consumption where everybody just wants stuff. It's a beautiful thing that we can be a sign and a wonder and a miracle. As grace flows through us. 
So you know that Paul says, God is able to make all grace abound to you, that you having all sufficiency in all things may abound into every good. It's the language of grace. When Paul writes to the Ephesians and he says, uh, uh, let those who steal no longer steal. Let them work with their hands that they may have something to share. I found that amazing. New Christians coming to faith, used to be a thief. The first thing Paul says to him is, is, is in this community, as you learn maturity, as you, as you follow Jesus in this new grace-filled way, he says, work with your hands so that you can get a salary. No, work with your hands so that you will have something to share. So grace that starts to flow through you. Paul says to the Corinthians, he, he who gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater is able to multiply your seed. Here's the point. What a crazy evidence of immaturity when, when a farmer eats his seed. It's a principle. This operating system of grace is I start to understand of all God gives me in this life. It is a blend of seed and bread. And we eat our bread and we sow our seed. We've got to get back there. And that's really just uh, an illustration not to extract. It's an illustration to coach us into maturity. Can I have another amen, please? That's very hard work preaching this message. Here's the big, here's the big point in this. God, we're being transformed and matured to increasingly express OS, grace, 1.0. And that's real maturity. And finally, I had a little moment where I nudged us into eternity looking back. I want to do it again. What God wants for us, God wants to convince us of the upside of investing offshore. <laughs> you know, folk, we're not really convinced. And I'm happy to stand here as a faithful servant of Jesus and say, we've got to start to get an eternal perspective. Listen to this. Command those who are well-empowered to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share in this way. If ever you doubted whether God's in this, to just extract. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves. Say for themselves. They will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. God has a longer term view for our flourishing and our reward in the ages of ages so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. The life that is truly life is not what are we doing in the next month or the next week. It's what are we doing in this life that benefits others because notice the language is, uh, is, uh, is they to do good things in this life. They're to be rich in good deeds in this life. They're to be liberal and generous in this life. But that's not the point. The bigger point is in this life, we lay foundations for the next life, for the ages of ages, as a firm foundation for you. Paul says something to the, similar to the Philippians. When he says, I'm not looking to get anything from you, but I'm looking for that which may be credited, credited to you. Jesus said, don't lay up for yourself 
uh, treasures on earth where rust, moth, and thieves break in and steal. He said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. I haven't heard this kind of conversation for a long, long time. And part of laying foundations because of the God-sized future in this church into its future is to say this gospel Yes, we want to reach beyond into the whole of the valley, but it needs to reach into the depths of who we are in our moment in history. Basically, what Paul is saying, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. You've never seen a hearse with a trailer. Come on, guys. That's not bad. Soon I came up with a little fivefold. I'm nearly finished, Luke. I know we've got another meeting, Luke, but in, we're in eternity now, and time stands still a little. Soon over the years, we've developed a little five-point philosophy of ministry. You may have heard this every sort of three or four years. We share it somewhere. We, it's simply this. Earn more. There we are. Earn more. Number two. Is balance. Balances earn more with consume less. <coughs> Number three, hoard nothing. Number four, be generous. Number five, celebrate life. That's what the gospel does. So let's go at four. Number one, say it out loud. Earn more. Earn consume more. less. Be, be generous. Oh no, hoard nothing. Be generous. Celebrate life. We have more fun. Yes, anniversaries, we'll go for a meal and we'll spoil it. But one of the things we love to do is to take the money we would have spent in a restaurant, buy all the goods, bring it in. I've got a little bit of wine collection. Bring our mates and have four couples around a table and do life before the Lord in a way that is way more exciting. We do it with unbelievers as well. It's a way. Not everything has to have a massive price tag. You can have soup and rolls. It's not always having to be this very extravagant thing. We've got to be careful. It's the people around the table that are more important than the fanfare. And we can celebrate lives in ways that are way more affordable. Okay. I hope you can see that God is for us in these passages. So let's give it back. Number one, the four things God wants for us. I don't want you to ever forget this. Number one, he wants to upgrade our asset register. True? Number two, he wants to protect us from the wrong cycles and traps by teaching us gospel grace, contentment, and simplicity as a means to free us from anxiety. Number three, he wants to coach us toward his operating system. That's the mark of real maturity. He wants us to grow from where we are. And it's progressive, and we are learning today. We're all learning. We're all saying, Lord, we want to move forward in that. And fourthly, he wants us to develop our offshore focus. There's a day where we stand before him. And until then, in heaven they're going to sing, Worthy are you, O Lord, who redeemed us by your blood to receive wisdom, power, wealth. That interesting. The reason we give to God is not because He's broke, not because His mission in the world is like in serious danger of being retarded. We give primarily because He is worthy of our whole lives. And if you're new to this, 
exploring faith, I want to say to you, in everything I've said, yes, God does want stuff from us. But primarily, He wants way more for us because if we get this on the inside, we begin to we worship Him intentionally in this way and we become way more extravagant and generous accidentally. It's not like, oh, I got to, oh, it's a root canal treatment. Oh, it's that time of the month. I got a salary. I got to, oh, no, no, no. We worship Him and love Him and adore Him and grace is flowing and we're learning and we're maturing and right attitudes produce right actions. God, thank you that in Jesus Christ, your Son, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for our sakes, on the cross, and before the cross, in the incarnation, in those hours of agony on the cross, experience the poverty and the separation and the brokenness and the consequence of our sin. For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus, though he was rich, he became poor, that we, through that poverty, might become truly rich. God, I'm wanting you to do that in our hearts today, Lord. The first point in a new way today, with the help us to realize Open our eyes to the wonders of what we have, who we have in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Lord, take out of us our hearts, the heart of stone. Put into us this heart of flesh that is tender to you, that is soft to you, that is, that is aspiring to want to be more like you in the noisiness and the craziness of the world and our moment in history, help us to recognize the challenges, but not to be controlled by them, not to surrender to them, to come under the wise, safe, loving hand of our good, good Father. I want to thank you for every family represented here, every single man and woman Pray, secure us, anchor us. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.